I think partnership is super hard and there's a little bit of luck. And uh, also you want to, you want to be able to attract people who align with what you're all about. And I didn't realize the podcast was going to do that for me. The future of dentistry belongs to the innovators. Welcome to Innovation in Dentistry. I'm your host, Sean Zayas, and I believe that the future of dentistry is going to be unbelievably great over the next decade and two decades, but the question isn't that. The question is, are you gonna be part of what makes dentistry great? Okay, so I could not be more excited today to have the honor to interview Dr. Richard Lowe of Shared Practices. Richard, before I set you up, let me just say thank you so much for letting me interview you today. Thank you, Sean. This is exciting. I'm, I'm, I've been looking forward to this, and I promised you this interview way long ago, and uh, just hadn't worked out, and uh, I'm, I'm so happy it's finally happening. So anyone that doesn't know you, if that's possible, you are like the innovator's innovator. Like You have pioneered already such a crazy way. And let me just give a little bit of definition to innovation right now, because um, it can mean a lot of different things, right? There's clinical innovations that can change dentistry. There's technological innovations that can change dentistry, and there's different business model innovations. But before any of that happens, it starts with some crazy person that actually believes that they can step up and make a difference, that, that challenges and just says, hey, why, why not me? Like, I, I see something. I see a problem. Why can't I be the one that brings that answer or brings that solution? Um, and Richard, I believe I've shared this with you. Like my vision and utter conviction is that dentistry is going to be great in 10 years. But I'm curious if our listeners are going to be part of what makes it great. So I'm doing this podcast because I look to the left and I look to the right and I see these amazing people pioneering positive change. But then I also see these vacancies where people haven't stepped up yet because maybe the time's not right, they say, or they're not ready yet. You flew in the face of all of that. Uh, readiness, I don't think you even know what that could mean. Uh, I feel like you just left. Um, I don't know where you want to start us off, but just in whatever way you want to respond to any part of what I just said. Yeah, no, I thank you for saying those nice things that are probably not fair, but... Uh... I, I will point to the person who I feel embodied innovation and gave me the courage to to start a podcast as a new grad who had no business podcasting about practice ownership. Um, I interned at Dentaltown. I threw myself at uh, Howard Fran's team when I was in dental school. And I was like, Dentaltown is this amazing online community. This is free Facebook pages. This is free podcasts. Um, you know, maybe there's one or you know, two like, mainstream uh, dental podcast at that point. And uh, I, I ended up getting a job despite getting turned down like three times. I think like they finally got sick of me applying for job positions that I didn't have enough time for as a dental student. And they, they hired me on as a student intern. And one of the first questions I asked when I got there was, um, who does Howard's social media? Because there's these like posts at 2 a.m. and there's like posts all the time. And like, and they're like, oh no, it's Howard. It's all Howard. And uh, I was like, okay, Howard is Howard is all in um, and getting to know him and being in his house and helping him set up like his podcast studio in his front office and, um, you know, getting his guests and all that stuff. You know, I got to I got to figure out podcasting under under him. 
And um, I realized that he was exactly what you just said. He was just a person who had a vision and was like, why can't it be me to build this online community of Dennis? And he's also not perfect. You know, like he, he tends to tell his own stories over and over and over. And instead of asking as much as he could about some of the guests and uh, but he's got great stories. And so it's like, who can blame him? You know, I, I want to hear what he has to say. So uh, it, it was one of those like seeing him up close and personal and realizing, oh, he's just he's a person. And he had the conviction to say, why not me? I can I can start something. I can do something. And that was very liberating. It was liberating to see that and realize like, you don't have to have it all figured out before you jump in and you solve a problem for, for someone else. I think it's even fascinating, though, that you, A, identified Dentaltown as, I don't know, an organization or company that you'd want to be part of, um, and B, that you had the resilience and perseverance to just keep on knocking despite <laughs> the initial, I guess, rejection, right? The door closed. They were like, no, Richard, sorry, there's no space for you here. And you're like, how about now? Yeah. <laughs> no, sorry, Richard, there's still no space for you. How about, how about now? Where did that come from? Um, I read a book in dental school by Keith Ferrazzi called Never Eat Alone. And it's this uh, it's a book about networking, but it's not like shaking hands and handing out business cards networking. It's like, how can you provide value to other people every time you meet them? How can you connect and have real authentic relationships with people? And I realized in dental school, I was like, I'm in Phoenix. There's a ton of dental expertise there's a ton of like people who know things and, and i was like i want to try to meet some of these people i want to i want to get to know howard fran like dental town and online forums i'm i am born of the generation that uh trusts online forums uh much more than institutional knowledge and uh you know studentdoctor.net got me into dental school dental town gave me like foundational practice management uh kind of insights before i before I, I i could get access to them elsewhere and um, and so that that book really emboldened me to just kind of not give up and uh, keep going until until an opportunity. Basically, what happened was uh, they said, fine, we'll we'll let you in as a student intern. And then his personal assistant who or executive assistant quit, who was running the podcast. And I was like, I'll pick that up. And he's like, do you know anything about running a podcast? I was like, no, but I'll figure it out. And uh, he was desperate enough that he let me do it. And so for about 80 episodes, I, I got to produce and edit and upload and, and all that kind of stuff on the back end, um, which then him and Alan Mead, they were the ones who were like, you should start your own podcast. I'm like, I'm just going to listen to a new grad podcast about practice management who's still in the army and can't own a practice for another five years. So that I, I think there's a couple like uh, layers of uh, where did you get this like ability to do things you, you have no business doing? And, um, I don't know. I, I think for me, it was, it was angst and like a desire to learn this stuff for myself and also turn around and help anyone else who wanted to know along the way. Well, I, okay. I, I, so I love the start of this because you share something and I'm like, wait a second, let's back up. And then even your answer, I'm thinking, Richard, what were you doing? reading a book, never eat alone. Like I know the book and that's not recommended reading for dentists. <laughs> like that, That's not the whole, oh, by the way, a, a requisite for um, being a great dentist is you need to read this book. Um, it, it just falls under the entrepreneurship business best practices. It's a amazing book, but the fact that you were reading it, like take me through there. Why, why were you not just staying in your lane 
so to speak, um, doing what everyone else was doing. Because I guarantee you, not every other dental student was reading that book. Yeah, no, I, I have been a chronic serial entrepreneur uh, since I was a kid, like getting the kids in the neighborhood to bike around and announce my popsicle stand and, you know, making and selling things and mowing lawns. And um, and, and so reading self-improvement, reading business books, um, consuming that kind of information, because I knew that dental school wasn't giving me what I needed to be successful as a practice owner. And being a small business owner, and in particular, a dental practice owner, is a very interesting microcosm of leadership and all aspects of business, but not at the MBA level. Like an MBA is almost off scope for what you need for dentistry. Like you need, you need like the basics of everything. You need the basics of marketing. You need the basics of accounting. You need the basics of uh, management and leadership, um, but then applied and bundled together in the context of providing patient care. And so I was like, it, it, it became apparent to me that like, okay, I don't need an MBA. I don't need a degree to, to teach me how to be a successful practice owner, but I do want to get my hands on the best information possible for self-development, for leadership, for all aspects of this. And um, so I ended up uh, just kind of chronically reading and consuming a ton of everything. And that's why I was a podcast junkie was because I loved audio content. I can multitask, I'm ADHD, and so now I'm... I'm running, I'm cleaning the house, and those things become much easier because I'm listening to an audiobook or listening to a podcast. So I, I, am a, I came into podcasting very seriously, having like listened to audio content every spare moment of my life for like the previous 10 years before I started podcasting. So I, I'm, I'm dedicated to the medium and I care a lot about good audiobooks and good podcasts because uh, they've meant a lot to me in my life. Okay, so I can see a little bit, like to me, it's clear you're definitely wired like an entrepreneur visionary um so if we're looking at like concentric circles i'm not seeing the but i want to be an md that's also a surgeon hence let me go into dentistry <laughs> like yeah like that that's still like a very uh, it's a very specific um like I, I don't know did you go in because you're like hey look this is a great business opportunity um, you know, to, to leverage my entrepreneurial, I don't know, creativity and yearning, um, because there really is the, the clinician yeah. aspect of dentistry, not to mention you need to know every single thing that an MD knows and specialize in the mouth. I, I don't know. I just feel like that's very particular. Yeah. Um, I, I would say for me that uh, it came from, I, I was an econ major at first. At first I was a <laughs> physics major and then I was an econ major. And uh, then I was an international relations major and I went to an international relations career panel. And one of the panelists was like, don't do international relations. She's like, do something specific and then do that internationally. So like learn business and then be able to help people abroad in, in business things and or learn medicine, learn. And that really resonated with me until I met a dentist uh, while I was doing my mission trip in California for two years, I met a dentist, a dental student and, and his wife, and they had had us over for dinner and just realized I like working with people. I like working with my hands. I like owning my own business um, and I like making money. You know, I, I wanted to do all the things and um, realized that dentistry could do that. And then in dental school, I realized there isn't anyone who's closed the gap for me between graduating with a bunch of debt and buying a dental practice. And I was like, how can I close the gap for someone else? How can I go from 
should I be a practice owner? Because I think that question deserves its own attention um, because some people assume, oh, that's just what you do. And they jump into practice ownership, but they hate running a business. They hate marketing. They hate holding people accountable. They hate management. Uh, and they're like just business owners because they feel like they should be like guilt trip wise. Um, but then we got really in the weeds on how do you find and buy the, the best dental practice? And, and one of my biggest innovations in shared practices, and I think this is kind of all I get credit for is, uh, or that I should get credit for is, is that I was like, you know what, what if we organized a podcast into seasons that matched the journey of this graduating dental student who wants to own a dental practice? So season one, should I own season two, how to acquire practice? And then once you're in the practice, how do you lead it and market it and do all these different things? So we had a seasons approach to our podcast that didn't really happen anywhere else. We had a curriculum and that was what really resonated with people was because they were on the same journey that we were as we started that podcast. Should I own? And if so, how do I prepare for and find and buy the right dental practice? So Richard, that does make sense why the market would love it because you really did just align what every young dentist is trying to figure out. Like, what do I do? When I'm in school, what do I do when I get out of school? And how do I bridge that gap? Now, just for timeline's sake, did you say you were in the army for like five years? <laughs> yeah, so I did I did the HBSP scholarship with the army and I did the two-year AEGD that the army offers. So I was in the army for six years and I started Shared Practices, the podcast, when I still had five years left of my military commitment. So I knew that I couldn't, or I thought at the time that I couldn't own a dental practice for the following five years. And I was like, well, I'm just going to podcast about it for five years. And if no one's listening, I'll shut it off. Um, and then a few years later, we were the number one rated dental podcast in the industry. So, uh, and, and still, and then very much imposter syndrome of like, I still can't put this in practice. And that's where my partner, Dr. George Hariri, um, when he partnered up, he was a third year, but then graduated from dental school, bought a practice straight out and started to put into practice and formulating, I think, kind of our next big innovation, which was, okay, how do we use metrics? Like we use the, the first thing we did really well was use metrics to find and buy the right practice. Then it was, let's use metrics to drive practice management and systematically grow practices from one to two to three doctors, um, which, which is a very nonlinear, bumpy road. Um, you know, and, and if done wrong, if you hire hygienists or dentists too soon or too late, like you can kind of really do it wrong and, and be upside down uh, for a while. And so we, we said, let's figure that process out. And that is all culminated in uh, the book that just came out, our, our Dental Moneyball book, which goes through this journey of how to grow a dental practice predictably using metrics and using a framework that's that's different than the traditional accountants who look at your PL and say, ah, oh, you're spending too much on marketing and you're spending too much on this. And that's how you manage your practice. So uh, th those two innovations, I think, are the two things that I, I did one of them. I did the seasons and like, let's start the podcast. And then uh, George and Suzanne, our, our director of coaching, um, really came up with this framework of practice growth and, and have crystallized it into our courses and, and our books and on the podcast. So it's been it's been fun to see my vision and dream and now it's had its own like innovations and, and babies and dreams uh and and they've kind of grown beyond my original vision and, and it's really cool to have partners that have bigger visions and goals than you do even okay so yeah you like you flew over to like you know where you ended up which is amazing 
I'm just so shocked that you were willing to commit to something for five years with podcasting, even before you were going to have a chance to like own your own practice. And if I remember correctly, because we met at Voices of Dentistry and we were talking and you actually ended up buying a practice while you were still in the army. I ended up buying five while I was still in the army. <laughs> okay. okay. Not, so that's why I don't want to gloss over that. Like not recommended. Yeah. What, what like, okay. So I don't want to say you're, um, I don't want to say there's something unhinged about that, but to me, that seems, um, a little unhinged. Yeah. Well, it just seems out of the ordinary. So yeah. what was going through your, your thought process? when so was this an opportunity that kept coming your way were there doors opening or were you just knocking and all of a sudden you know stuff opened up like what how do you end up buying five practices while you're in the army i feel really bad for anyone listening to this who's still in the military who then thinks like oh, okay richard did it i can do it and the the problem with owning dental practices while you're still active duty is that number one um, you're deployable. So if you deploy, you've bought a dental practice, uh, and you're then gone, you are the definition of an absentee owner and cannot be running your practice from Afghanistan or Iraq or anywhere else that you may have deployed. Um, so not recommended if you're deployable. Um, also it's hard because usually a lot of times, uh, when you're at, a an, uh, installation with the military, there's a surrounding community that has insurance from the army. The families have insurance from the army. Um, and there's sometimes referrals from on-duty uh, dentists to off-duty, you know, like a civilian dentist. And um, they really frown on if you're working over here and you're referring patients to yourself or you're taking TRICARE. Like, it starts to get complicated. And your commander, uh, your boss in the army can stop you from practicing off-post. You have to get permission to practice off post. So like if you are buying a dental practice with the intent of practicing some number of days per week and um, that that's gonna keep the practice afloat, it, it is a very risky proposition. You have to be above board um, and, and be getting approvals from everyone and knowing that you might deploy. Um, but the army can't stop you from buying an asset. The army can't stop you from buying a house or from buying a car, um, from buying an investment. And a dental practice is a business and it's an investment. And if you don't have to work there full time, they can't, they can't stop you from doing that. So um, what can stop you is getting financing to buy practices, um, being able to put out fires and manage that. So I found myself in a non-deployable position. I did medical recruiting for the army for dentists, doctors, nurses out of Indianapolis, which was our hometown for my last two and a half years that I was in the army. So I was in a unique situation where I'm not clinically practicing for the for, for the military. Um, so there's no conflict of interest there. I'm not deployable. So there's no risk that the practices fall apart while I'm gone. And then um, I bought them with some partners who had a group of practices. And we added these three practices to, to that group. And there was dentists in all three of those practices who were doing the dentistry and were, were staying on board full time. Um, so I wasn't replacing any, anyone's schedule. But this was then during COVID. So I got to run three dental, I got to take on the stress of running three dental practices while I was still full-time active duty through COVID and got a real taste of like, eh, I don't know, I don't know if scaling to multiple dental practices is uh, the, 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 the golden land that people make it out to be. You just aggregate problems and fires and drama and issues. 
and and it actually formed a lot of my opinion that I tell young hungry dental entrepreneurs which I, I don't think most dentists should own multiple practices I think if you can own one practice and grow it to a two or a three doctor practice you're going to have more money and more problems than you, you ever thought you could could handle um, and if you still want more money and problems, then you can expand to that second or third dental practice, but do a large one first that has enough infrastructure to support itself and have a leadership team so that you're not needed and you can hire a replacement. You can have a, a true office manager and team leads and all of these things, because otherwise you start getting stretched real thin on practice number two, three, four, five. And you, you enter this like ugly duckling zone of trying to grow a group until you're past like eight dental practices. Um, and then you can start to hire a central team and, and take that burden off of you. But really, I, I just think uh, if you like clinical dentistry and you like being an entrepreneur, the fastest way to do really, really well is own your own practice and grow it to two or three doctors. And if you can do that, you're, you're going to have options. You're going to have lots of options at that point. Okay, so I think you just shared a lot of what you learned and discovered in those early years. And I can't even say early years because you just mentioned COVID and that was like a stone's throw away. So you're not 20 years into this um, and yet you've already had years or possibly even decades of experience crammed into a very small amount of time. Um, I don't know. I just feel like this this seems like a pace that would crush normal people you mentioned the imposter syndrome simply on the side of the podcast of like well i'm not actually practicing right now so this seems a little odd did you ever encounter it when it came to owning multiple practices where all of a sudden you're like oh my god you woke up and you're like this is happening so fast and there's so much i'm not i'm not sure i'm enough or i can handle this did you ever have like a moment of struggle like that no, I still, I mean, okay. So then, then, uh, our last innovation, I, you know, I think I was thinking about for this episode, there was the innovation of the seasons. There was the innovation of our model of practice growth. And our last innovation is, um, a model of dentistry that's a, a denture and implant model. So, um, uh, about a year and a half ago, me and my original two partners, Dr. George Hariri, Dr. Matt Garino, and three additional partners, listeners, friends that, that we had had and had been involved with shared practices and our mastermind and other things, um, they partnered, uh, all of us partnered together. So we, we had done we had done the coaching. We, we have, we, and we still do, we have over 80 coaching clients who are part of our shared practices proper is what we call it, our, our podcast, the, our courses and our coaching. Um, but we partnered together our practices um, and brought together our 10 practices to be able to get the financing and debt to open new dental offices that are denture and implant only. So um, a patient comes, they need all their teeth pulled and we're offering them dentures, over dentures and all on four uh, full mouth implant rehabilitation. So um, we figured out a way to make this work and to, to grow it fairly quickly. And we opened 10 offices our first year and we're going to be opening well over 20 this year in 2023 and we opened five in august um and so that that sensation of like waking up and being like what am i doing here am i enough is this like how did how did this happen uh, that is that's like a daily occurrence so um you know we'll end up around 33 35 dental practices and uh right now i'm the ceo george has been the ceo in the past and my but between the six of us we have this fairly flat leadership structure of 
truly partners who are good at different things and those roles and responsibilities have shifted around. They'll continue to shift around. Um, and, and so at this time, I'm, I'm the CEO of this dental group. Um, but really, I'm more like chief podcaster and uh, you know, educator to dentists. I really like teaching team members and dentists, um, supporting our offices as, as they grow. Um, but yeah, no, I have that sensation all the time. And uh, the pace is, is sometimes way too fast and sometimes just right. And we're figuring out what's the sustainable way to do this without, uh, without crashing and burning. And, and it's been a pretty wild ride. It's been pretty amazing. And now all of a sudden, like you said, you look up and you're like, what is going on? What are we doing? Yeah, it's exciting. When you were talking about your education um, and this kind of path into dentistry, I was just even thinking like, who is Richard Lowe? Like you could do a whole series on like, so is he the economist? Like, is he the guy that does international business? Uh, Is he the entrepreneur? Is is he, you know, the clinician? Um, And it's like, yes. Is he the podcaster? Is he the author? Yes. I think ADHD entrepreneur is, is the most appropriate uh, title. And ADHD chronic entrepreneur, which means that you always, there has to be something new, exciting to chase um, and uh, growth and potential and also new challenges and the same challenges and same commitments um, get stale, unfortunately, too quickly. Like, uh, so I, I think the the flip side of that is like, when you're, when I feel like I have to be obsessed with and fixated on something new. And uh, then my existing commitments and my ability to communicate and run all my my existing projects and commitments uh, suffers. So I, I think um, both the the good side of what you described also has its dark side. Of um, man, I sometimes I'm like, how am I adulting at this point? Like, you know, if it weren't for the support around me and my partners and the amazing people that we have at Shared Practices, like none of this would be possible. Um, and and somehow. Somehow I started a podcast in my closet and now I'm the CEO of a dental group um, is, is how I tell the story to, to people when they, they ask for the short version. Well, so that's interesting because that's exactly what I was formulating in my mind right when you started talking about your team. Like I don't want to gloss over um, the part that I really want to bring like illumination to is like this isn't like you're not Rambo, right? You're not the one man show. Uh, you're not the Superman that somehow has these you're you're very gifted. We're not we're not saying you're not. I'm just saying like I almost think the greater gift is the ability to broker trust at the level that you have and at the same exact time know who to trust. So so like the fact that you were able to successfully identify and come together with other partners that have different strengths and together the synergy emerges that's greater than your individual parts that's borderline miraculous um like there's no guarantee when you meet someone and someone else meets someone else that any idea and ideas are cheap is going to be executed at such a high fidelity that it's actually going to work and that's that's what shared practices is a story of people coming together and the, the, what is it? The sum is greater than the parts. Um, and again, that, that, that's nothing short of a miracle. So like demystify that a little bit, because if I'm listening and I'm a dentist, I'm thinking, well, Richard, I don't know who to partner with. Like, I, I don't even know the first thing about partnering. I don't know if it's like an emotional intelligence issue. 
I don't know if it's, it has to do with integrity and like, I, I don't know. It sounds like I could get burned. Like, it sounds like this could be a disaster. And I've heard of the dentists that, right, like join another dentist and, and they buy a practice and all of a sudden they're like, oh, I, I didn't know that's who you were. Yeah. Um, what, I, I don't know. Like, did, let's delve into that for a moment. Like, just take yeah. me there. What, what yeah, was that? So, what was that like? Um, there, there's, there's a couple of things. Um, number one, definitely an element of luck. Um, like you said, it is really hard to know ahead of time if someone is going to be a good partner. Um, and I partnered with Dr. George Hariri originally out of desperation. Um, I, I was kind of burning the candle at both ends. I had two young daughters. I was in my residency in the army and, uh, I, I was like, you know what? I'm, I don't know if I'm going to be able to keep doing this. It was after a season of the podcast and uh, my wife had confronted me and was like, Hey, family podcast residency, you got to choose two out of the three. And I told her that I was willing to drop the residency um, because I felt like this podcast was going to open more, more doors than, than my army commitment, which by the way, if you, if you drop out of residency, it's kind of a scarlet letter of like, you took a residency spot, you didn't fulfill it. Now you're like the most deployable, like, we're going to send you to the bad locations. We're going to, we're going to send you abroad uh, to not, not Germany, but to other places abroad. And um, so it like, when she saw that I was willing to drop residency, that was like a, oh, okay, wow. He, he, I guess there's something about this talking in a closet to himself. And, uh, and, and I'm now out of the closet. I have, I have my own office. Uh, you know. Title of the podcast, Richard comes out of the closet. Yes. Yes. <laughs> acoustics in a closet are really good for podcasting though because podcast of the, all the clothes, the clothes the sound dampening it doesn't yeah. the reverb is so low i no agree echoes. that's genius no echoes cheapest way to have no echoes it's um, true but uh i will say the thing that i didn't expect to come out of the podcast is that by serving a very thin slice of of dentistry i i decided i said at that time, and we've changed now, but at the time I said, I'm only going to care about the young dentist, kind of my generation and younger, because anyone older than me is not going to listen to me anyways. Who, you know, So uh, I'm going to care about my generation who wants to be a practice owner and doesn't know how to get there. And I'm going to fulfill that journey and, and support that dentist better than anyone else ever possibly could. I'm going to do it for free on air. I'm going to be authentic and real and dig and not sell out the stream to, you know, sponsors and let, you know, sell off my airtime to, to people that I don't trust. And um, by serving that slice of dentistry, it attracted entrepreneurial dentists who are really driven and committed and amazing people. And that's who joined forces with us. And so the, the thing that I didn't expect was that the podcast served as this beacon that brought amazing people who also shared a very giving vision of like, let's contribute, let's give back, let's teach, let's educate, let's podcast. Wow. Um, so it was like also, this re recruitment, right? You could recruit it, people of your similar heart, spirit, DNA that believed what you believed and cared about what you cared about. Exactly. And, and even had a higher vision than I did. So, you know, like here was, here's kind of the, what I thought we could do with this and we've done all of those things. And now we're doing all sorts of other things. Like we started a law firm last year. We're now the first dentist owned law firm in, in the country. Um, we we've, I don't know. There, there's all these things we keep doing this, this book that we've written, um, dental Moneyball. I, you know, I talked about it a minute ago, but like this is all exceeded far, far exceeded what I thought was possible. Um, 
And now the six of us as partners are committed to, let's create a space where we as visionary entrepreneurs can continue to play within the field of dentistry and create things that provide value um, and, and do that together. And that's what our shared practices partnership is. And then we get to bring more people into that, more dentists, more partners as, as we open up practices uh, with dentists and they earn in and all of these things. So um, yeah, I think partnership is super hard and there's a little bit of luck. And uh, also you wanna, you wanna be able to attract people who align with what you're all about. And I didn't realize the podcast was gonna do that for me. And it is hard to do that without really kind of working with someone and uh, like experiencing years with this person. But my partners who are, who are now some of my best friends in the world, they were listening to the podcast. So they had been, you know, part of this for years and, and they had implemented what we'd said on the podcast and they were kind of part of that core, like, you know, we love this, let's do more of it. So um, that would be one recommendation is, is if you can really serve a community, then out of that community and out of that service, hopefully you find people that you would want to partner up with and, and join up with. Okay. Okay. So three things first. Um, oh my God. Why did I say three? Now I have to do three. Um, <laughs> first, let me honor the fact that you actually showed up though, um, authentically and with that courage to be authentic, because if you waved a banner and if you start a podcast and you start sharing stuff, but people can kind of like tell that it's not you. Um, a, it wouldn't have taken off and B, it wouldn't have actually attracted people in that same exact way. So it took a lot of courage to just be like, this is actually me. This is completely aligned and I'm just going to put myself out there. So uh, if that piece isn't there, you don't attract who you attracted. You know what I mean? Because so many people, they model what they think success looks like and it ends up being some sense of uh, performance but people in their BS meters are like, ah, that's not really who that person is. Yeah. So you didn't do that. Like, that's amazing. Um, which, which let me, let me add to that. Um, I think the, the people that I took influence from and, and actually on my wall in the back here, you can't tell cause I'll blurt out, but there's a bunch of different podcasts that I've like put as my wall art in the background. And one of the podcasts I listened to, which is no longer around, it's called the fizzle show they talked about being a leading learner and being authentic in that, like, this is where I am in my journey and it's okay that I'm not further along in my journey, but if I can help someone who's three steps back from me, I remember what it feels like. And those are still my problems. And I still care about solving those problems with that person. Um, and so that being in it and podcasting about it as we were in it and sharing the, the ups and downs and the pros and cons and, and all of that, um, has always been a part of shared practices and something that I naively thought, I thought once we were building a group and, and scaling further, we could continue to have as much transparency. But now I'm at the point where I'm like, Ugh, like running a business is hard and there are things I can't talk about in, on air because they affect people's lives. And, 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 but that's still like a core part of what, what we want to be. I, I try not to sugarcoat what it's like to run a dental group and give people some false sense of like, this is, this is the way to go. And I'm like, no, this is hard. And I, if I could tell you off air, kind of the things that you end up having to hard decisions you have to make. And, uh, when you gotta let people go, that's never fun. Uh, and, and the stress and the problems and the fire. So, but that authenticity has been core to who we are. And I think why, why we got traction in the first place. 
Okay, so then let me add another one then. Okay. <laughs> so, okay. um, again, honor you again for the courage to share who you are in the midst of the process. Like to our listeners, um, one of the excuses for not getting in the game is I can't show people my life yet because I haven't climbed, I haven't reached the top, I haven't reached the pinnacle, and yet people won't care about you then because they won't know how you got there. They won't know about your struggle. They won't know about that. So the fact that you shared that. That's amazing. Another thing you said that I think the listeners, I, I just want to circle back to is that you said, and you said it, I think a few times, I never would have known that we'd arrive where we're at today based off of kind of our, our plan or the onset. And that's where people put so much pressure on themselves. I need to have some grand plan. It's like, well, no, you just need enough clarity to take step one and trust yourself and just take that step one. And as you're in motion and as you start sharing what you're doing or what you're wanting or what you care about, people have no, pro no ability to help you if you're not saying, this is what I stand for, this is what I care about, and you're not showing the world. If you're not in movement or in motion, you typically don't end up anywhere and you just stagnate. Um, so I, I just think that was really profound. Like you, I know you have the ability to plan and mastermind and blueprint. But the fact that you have the humility to be like, look, uh, did I know we were going to own a law company, a law firm when I started shared practices? Heck no. And that's the beauty of the ride and enjoying the ride. Okay. So the last thing I wanted to say, and I want to throw it to you is, um, I don't even know if I've ever thought of it this way, Richard, but it just, you've inspired me between intellect and instinct. In which way do you rely on them as your leading and as you're going because you're a man of great intellect incredibly smart but at the same exact time i have a feeling you also trust your instincts so how do you describe the tension between the two and when you rely on one versus the other well i'm not going to do a good job answering this question um so authenticity here um i i think i actually think in running a business instinct can get you in trouble and and that's why like our framework around metrics is really important because it keeps you objective it keeps you honest it helps you focus on like what is the true bottleneck and that like that's how we've grown practices i think instinct in two ways gets you in trouble number one instinct uh when you assume you understand why people are doing what they're doing what they're thinking why they're behaving the way they're behaving you tell yourself a story about their intentions mm. and then that colors your emotions and your interactions with that person so i have to fight like my instinct um of like okay some drama is going on at this office and the team lead is saying this about the doctor and the doctor is saying this and and it's like i actually have no clue what's going on here but my regional manager is getting all of her information from the team lead and they like this person. They seem to trust this person. Um, so like, they're like, Oh, it's, it's the doctor. That's the problem. But it's like, okay, I need to go into this and be objective and say, okay, I'm going to collect some data from the doctor. I'm going to collect some data from the team lead. I'm going to try and like understand all sides of this and not let my instinct color my decision-making there. Um, so I think that's one area where instinct can get in the way is when it comes to emotions and difficult conversations. Um, I think another area that it can get in the way is running your business on instinct rather than on metrics and data. Hmm. Um, because 
everyone kind of like everyone thinks they're better they're they're in the top 50 percent of drivers and there's got to be 50 percent of people who are not in the top 50 percent of drivers and unless the metrics tell you there's not a real easy way to like quantify that but how we're running our practices like there is ways to quantify that and we've figured that out and we've we've said okay these are the bottlenecks you got to address first before you scale and grow and add a hygienist and add a doctor um and and that data I wouldn't say it's it's the sheer intellect. It's like data. It's objectivity. It's it's um, making decisions, knowing where you're going, and the metrics that matter and are going to hold you back from getting there, and focusing relentlessly on those few things to unlock that next step for you. Um, so yeah. So I don't know. I would say intellect. I choose A, not B. So when the metrics and the data take you only so far, let's say it takes you to like 60% uh, clarity or certainty. Um, what percentage of uncertainty are you willing to act on? Oh, I mean, this is, this is the like committing to open 20 dental practices in a year. Um, <laughs> and, and uh, you know, very early on, I was like the wet, I'm, I am the wet blanket of the, the six of us in the partnership. I'm like, really, should we do, be doing this? What if we, what if we just did 10? What if we did 15? I think I, I, I've said publicly, like, I don't know if I'm a great CEO Depose me if, if, if I'm getting in the way of the growth of our company, but, uh, there, there are these moments where you're like, okay, I think this can work. And these are the moments of entrepreneurship that I do think instinct has to win where you're like. I see the model. I see how this can work. We need to execute on it. And we're going to take some risk. Um, and we're going to do things that maybe other people don't do. And we've been doing a lot of that over the last two years. Um, and it is, it is paying off and it's also been hard. And, and, you know, there's people think like, oh yeah, just hand over fist. And, but it's like, well, no, it was, it was a pretty tight summer when you're growing that aggressively, there's not a lot of extra money floating around. Um, and so I've, I've felt the consequences of, leading a business by instinct and making risky calls and coming out ahead because of them. Um, but also sometimes you get burned. And so I think as often as possible, I would prefer to lean on the metrics to kind of, if you're, if you're like, I think we have this, make sure you've got data to back up your instinct that, I mean, uh, across the board, I'm not, I'm not going to back off that message of so many people, people, so many times people fall in love with their own ideas. They fall in love with like how good of a leader they are, how good of a practice owner they are. And we, we do dentistry in a silo. Like it's just us. That's the hardest part is there is not typically a manual or a playbook that is handed to us in dental school of how to buy the right practice, how to be a good leader, how to scale and grow. And there's so many different voices. There's so many different ways to, to, to do these things um, that, that we've tried to say, let's build a framework of how to think about this and let's let data guide our decisions. And that's what our coaches use. And that's what our dentists use to systematically scale. And then at some point, like I said, it becomes like, oh, okay, this is formulaic. Like we know how to do this and can do it over and over and over. Um, and it kind of becomes fun. Okay. So I'm in dentistry right now and I'm listening to this. How do I know if I'm a perfect fit for either checking out the book or working with shared practices? Like, who who aligns with that? Like like who who should be listening and going? Oh, okay. Let me reach out to shared practices. Yeah. Um. There's there's two people. A dentist who. Okay. 
the two people, one of them at a couple different points of their journey. A dentist who wants to own a dental practice and, and hasn't gotten there yet, we can help them find and buy the right practice. A dentist who owns a practice and wants to grow and scale it and is willing to invest in that practice to scale it over the next two years so that when if they buy an $800,000 practice, they can grow it to a $2.5 million practice. Um, and and we, we have case study after case study after case study of that exact person. But you have to be willing to go through the discomfort of growth and of change. So if you're not wanting to grow and you're not willing to go through that discomfort, like, well, okay, like we're not the consulting coaching company for you. Um, and then the other side is the dentist who decides they don't want to do any more hygiene checks or fillings or crowns, and they just want to do dentures and implants and lots of surgery and extractions. Um, and, and we're opening practices for those dentists. And, and it's a lot of fun. It's the model that I'm in. You know, I, I tell family members, if you want me to pull all your teeth, I can pull all your teeth. But uh, if you want to fill in your crown, I, I just literally don't even have the stuff to do it at my office. You have to go somewhere else. So if you're that kind of dentist, if you like surgery, if you like implants, if you like these comprehensive cases and challenges, then uh, absolutely reach out to us and, and we'll see if we can open an office for you. So if that is me and I'm like all excited now because I want to work with you, where do you want my eyeballs to go? Yep. Um, so sharedpractices.com, dentalmoneyballbook.com, and sharedpracticesgroup.com would be the three places. So Richard, um, this is the last question. I think you're ready for it. Um, so here you are, you're walking down the street and off in the distance, you see 18 year old Richard. And you know you only have a brief moment to communicate one sentiment to him. What do you share? Uh, I mean, I was I was going to tell him like, start mining Bitcoin. Um, <laughs> like uh, the next seven Super Bowl winners are no, just, no, just just start mining, just start mining Bitcoin. Um, no, I think um, like a true investor, I love it. <laughs> no, I I think that the that it's, that it's worth it to be an entrepreneur. And, and, and I know that, and I knew that, but it's like the confidence, like it's going to pay off. Like just, just head down, grind, you know, have your vision. Um, and at some point it will create opportunities and value that, that were not possible otherwise. Um, and I love entrepreneurship. I'm a chronic entrepreneur and, and, um, you know, just that, that confidence, like, okay, just, just keep going on that entrepreneurship pathway. Um, maybe I wouldn't have done the army, but if I hadn't have done the army, I wouldn't have had the angst to start shared practices. Like it's all kind of this weird cyclical, like chicken egg type situation. Um, but, uh, I, I, I just love entrepreneurship and, um, helping other dentists who want to be business owners and, and, and do it the right way. Well, I love the way that you love dentistry. Um, I, I really admire the courage you have and have had to just be authentic and be transparent and lead that way uh, and serve people with such a generous spirit. Um, and at the same exact time, just have such a humility. So A, I want to thank you for saying yes and, and all those difficult moments uh, continuing to go. Um, and then I just want to honor everything you're doing with shared practices, which is really just pioneering such amazing positive change uh, in dentistry. And like I was saying, it, it's, it's rather miraculous that you and, and five other partners came together to create the synergy that you have. I, I think it's an amazing uh, model. It's an amazing blueprint. Uh, I'm 100% in your guys' corner. I love what you're doing. Richard, thank you so much for letting me interview you today.
Thank you, Sean. This was a blast. Thank you. Thanks for listening and be sure to follow so you never miss an episode. To learn more about what's going on in dentistry, check out innovationindentistry.com.